About a year ago, I was uh, moving some stuff around in my workshop. I have a bunch of woodworking tools, some of which I know how to use. Um, my father will give me tools. When he gets new ones, I get his old ones. And uh, I had this thing called a radial arm saw, which if you don't know what that is, uh, join the club. And I needed to move it off this table to the floor. And there was no one else around, and I just wanted it done now. And so even though I knew it was too heavy for me to move by myself, I did it. I picked it up, and I set it on the floor. Um, and I paid for it for about three months because I did something in my back, and it just was sore for, for a few months after that because I don't know if you can tell from where you're sitting, but I wasn't really built to move heavy objects. That's, that, that's um, you know, I'm not really built that way. Um, and so I should not have done that by myself, but I wanted it done now. And so I just did it, and I paid for it. A, f a few months later, my neighbor was doing some work on his deck, and uh, I was offering him some tools because somebody needs to use them. So uh, I was going to take some tools out to him, but I have left this radial arm saw in the middle of my workshop floor because <laughs> I can't move it again. Uh, and I, we, I, didn't, I couldn't get out the door with the tools that I needed to take to my neighbor. So I asked him to come over and help me move it. And uh, so he did. He's a fit young man, and so he was able to do that, and it was super easy. The two of us just picked it up and set it on a table together. And I kind of I think, when I remember that sequence of events, like, why am I so stubborn? that I, Why couldn't I have asked somebody to help me move it to begin with? I, I know people who, who can help with things like that. I know people who are big and strong and healthy and can do things like that, but for some reason I have this tendency in myself to try to do things myself or just, or just ignore it because I don't want to ask for help. And I wonder if sometimes I do the same thing in my relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever felt that, that God has set the bar too high for you. Like when you read the Bible and you, you see all these things that we're supposed to be able to do, like love your enemies uh, forgive people who hurt you. Um, be kind to the bank teller. Like, those things are all in the Bible. And we kind of look at those and sometimes we go, the bar's too high. I, I can't reach that from here. And so we'll, we'll either just try to willpower our way through it, right? We'll just, I'll just, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to willpower my way into this which usually ends up in a cycle of frustration because we, we do good for a minute and then we fail and then we are discouraged and depressed and then we, you know, willpower ourselves up again and we do good for a minute and it's just this frustrating cycle. Or we just say, you know what, not for me. This, like that level of Christianity, that must, not be, for, that must be for special people like preachers and stuff like that and so they can, they can do those things but I can't. It's, it's too far out of reach for me. But the amazing thing that we're going to talk about for the next four weeks is that God has given us a gift, a relationship that actually allows us to do things together that we could never do on our own. It's, it's kind of like having a neighbor who can move heavy things that you can always call on. God has given us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present throughout the pages of Scripture, even on page one of the Bible at creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And when God created man, he breathed his Spirit into man, and that, that's what brought man to life. 
we see that Jesus, when he comes on the scene, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was present at the baptism of Jesus. And then immediately, the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. And you see the the Holy Spirit show up on the pages of Scripture. And I think sometimes we kind of go, well, I know God the Father, and I know Jesus the Son, but I'm not sure I know the weird uncle. You know, it's kind of how we think of it. The Holy Spirit is just mysterious, and I'm not sure I can't explain him. I can't define him. And so... I just don't know what to do with him. So hopefully over the next few weeks, we're going to get a better picture of who the Holy Spirit is and how we can develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit that can allow us to reach the life that God has created us for that we cannot reach without him. We're going to start in John 14. So uh, grab a Bible or follow along on the screen, and we're going to read uh, a few verses from John 14. This section in the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, cover a time period really just between the Last Supper and the arrest, Jesus' arrest. And so it's just a few hours of time here where Jesus just kind of explains a bunch of stuff at once. You feel the intensity of Jesus' words pick up here because he knows he's about to go to the cross and he's not going to talk to the disciples again until after the resurrection. And so he's throwing all this stuff out there to them because it's important that they get it now. So that's where we are in John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 10. Jesus says to his disciples, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the count of the works themselves. Jesus says, you you know who I am because I've told you. And the things I've told you didn't even just come from me. They came from from God. And so you should believe the words that I say because they're from God. But you should also believe because of the works that I do because those are from God as well. And then he drops this on them. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. He says, you guys, all the things you've seen me do, you're going to do greater things than what I've done. And you got to think the disciples are going, Jesus, you walked on water, you calmed a storm, you raised the dead to life. We're going to do greater things than you've done? Do you know us? (laughs) Have you met us? We're kind of a mess, Jesus. And we're going to do greater things. We're going to carry on the words and works of Jesus, us, the 12 knuckleheads. We're going to pull this off. Jesus says, all right, I know you're going to need some help. So verse 13, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He says, look, the workshop of heaven is open to you. Just you ask for it, and you're going to get it, because you are going to need some resources. You're going to need some help. And so the storehouse of heaven is open. Just ask for what you need. And he finishes with this uh, before we will move on in a moment. But if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus says, look, you guys have a big job to do. You're going to carry on my words and my works at a level that, you, that no one has even seen yet. You are going to do this. And if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. This is how this is going to work. And they've got to be going, yes, Jesus, you know, you know we love you, but 
I feel like you've set the bar too high, Jesus. You've put this just a little out of reach. We can't do this. Because we we know the disciples, right? I'll I'll show you a, a little bit of what they were like. They were afraid a lot. They were afraid of everything. They lived in a time when life seemed a lot more fragile. I mean, you, you could die from just a minor illness because there wasn't, you know, really a health care system, you know. Jesus was the health care system. He was pretty good at it, but just one of him. You, you, they were out on a storm, in, uh, on the lake in the middle of a storm, and they were so afraid that they woke Jesus up and said, you don't even care if we live or die, do you? They, they were characterized by fear. These guys are going to carry on the words and works of Jesus. They're going to do greater things than Jesus ever did. They were also divided. Jesus didn't choose 12 guys who all grew up in the same neighborhood and went to the same school and had the same political ideas and voted the same way. In fact, there were two guys on his team that if they met out in the wild would have tried to kill each other. One was, his name was Simon the Zealot. And zealot means like he was like as right-wing crazy nationalist as you could be as a Jew. And then he also picked Matthew, who sold out to the Romans as a tax collector. These two guys Jesus put on the same team. It's like taking a a left-wing liberal and a right-wing conservative and saying, hey, I want you guys to work together. How's that going to go? And this division shows up over and over again as the disciples argue about stuff throughout their time with Jesus. And to top it all off, they were selfish. In, in one of, in a key moment, where Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples what's about to happen, that he's going to the cross, he turns around and he says, what are you guys arguing about? And, and they had been arguing amongst themselves See, they thought Jesus was going to sit on a throne someday, and they were arguing about who was going to sit on his right hand, who was going to be Jesus' right-hand man. They were, they were fighting about that among themselves because they, they each kind of were hungry for power, and they wanted position. The closer they were to Jesus, the more power they would have. That's how they thought about it. So Jesus looks at these guys, afraid, divided, selfish, and says, you guys are going to change the world you're going to carry my words and my works through Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These guys, how in the world are they going to pull it off? How in the world are they going to do this? You, you probably have had that feeling before. You've been reading scripture or you've been listening to a message and somebody says, you know, the person that hurt you a long time ago, You've been holding on to that. You've never forgiven them. You've never spoken to them. You can't hardly stand to think about them. You know what you should do? You should forgive them. And you go, nope, that bar is set way too high. That's out of reach. I'm not going to be able to do that. You know that person at your workplace that just tries to make your life difficult? They've sabotaged your promotions. They, they gossip about you. You know what you should do? You should love them. Pray for them. <laughs> no, no way, man. That's, that's, that's out of reach. I can't do that. This is the disciples Jesus is talking to. They're, they're afraid. They're divided. They're selfish. And he's going, you guys are going to change the world. And they're thinking, you, you, you've got us mixed up with somebody else, obviously. But here's what Jesus says next. He ends fit chapter, uh, verse 15. He says, if you love me, 
you will obey my commands. And then the very next thing he says is, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Jesus says, I know you can't do this by yourself. I know that you can't carry on my words and my works by yourself. I know who you are, but you're not going to be alone. God is going to give you this relationship with his spirit that is going to enable you and empower you and equip you to be the very people that I've known all along that you would be. And so he leaves them with this. A couple chapters later, it's in this same conversation. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, you think it's better for me to stay here with you, but you're wrong. Have you ever thought that being a Christian would be so much easier if Jesus were alive and present in the flesh? Like if Jesus could just go to work with me, then there's no way I would have a bad attitude. I would, I would be kind to everyone if Jesus was standing right beside me, right? I mean, if Jesus could go to my family reunion with me, there, there's no way I would you know, cause the kind of problems that I'm probably going to cause. If Jesus were right there with me, uh, if Jesus were right with me when I'm alone in my, in, in my private time when no one else can see what I'm doing or know what I'm thinking, if Jesus were right there with me, I'd have no problem having thoughts that honor God and doing things that honor God. But the disciples, listen to this. This is, this is important. The disciples, while Jesus was right beside them, were characterized by fear, division, and selfishness. He was right there with them, and this is who they were. But they didn't stay that way. In the book of Acts, Acts is just, it should be a movie series. It's amazing. It's the story of how the church got started and spread from Jerusalem to the, to the whole world. And in the beginning of the book of Acts, we start to see the Holy Spirit show up and do some amazing things. So I want to read this passage from Acts chapter 4. We're picking up right in the middle of a prayer. The leaders of the, the Jews, the same people that had Jesus sent to the cross, are now, um, they're trying to wipe out Christianity before it can get started. So anyone who talks about Jesus is in trouble. So the believers get together and they pray, and we're going to pick up in the middle of their prayer in Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. I'm going to read those last two verses again because I want you to see the correlation here. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness, not fear. Even though their lives were on the line, they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Is this a whole new group of people? 
is this a brand new set of disciples that suddenly come on the scene and these people are now bold and united and generous? These are the same people. This church is being led by the same 12 disciples that Jesus spoke to when they were afraid and divided and selfish. What changed? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit inside them did something that they could not do when Jesus was beside them. Isn't that amazing? That, that should open our minds up to what is possible in this life. Because I think what we do, we get, we get frustrated that we can't make the progress in our relationships, in our spirituality, in our faith, because we've built some walls. When, when there's fear in your relationships, are you able to see the kind of health and thriving that you want to see? If, if there's something I'm afraid to talk to my wife about, are we going to have a healthy relationship? No. If, if there's division in your life where you focus more on how you're different from people than how you're the same, if there's division in the church where we think more about how we're, we see things differently and we're on different sides of things than the thing that unites us, are we going to be healthy? If there's selfishness in your life, are you going to have healthy relationships with people when, when all you think about is what you can gain from this conversation, from this interaction, from going to this party, from doing this thing? Do you see how these things, they put a wall between us and, and the people that we're created to be? And what they're actually doing is putting a wall between us and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, this is the hinge of this whole uh, phrase, uh, passage from John 14. If you love me, if you love me, you will obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you the help that you need, this relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you flip that around, you say, if I'm not getting the help I need to become the person that I think I'm supposed to become, I have to ask myself, do I really love Jesus? Or do I love him most? I think it's easy to say, yes, I love Jesus. But do I love him most? Does he really have center place in my life? Is he really the most important? Like his opinion matters more than anyone else's opinion. His direction matters more than anyone else's direction. Is that how I live my life? Because that, according to Jesus, is the door that opens us up to the Holy Spirit's power to change us. So we see these same 12 knuckleheads turn into people that begin to change the world. And they begin to live differently. They begin to experience their relationship with God differently. You thought it was good when Jesus was beside you. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes in and takes over. And your fear becomes boldness. And the division in your life becomes unity. And the selfishness that you live by becomes generosity. When we love Jesus most and he gives us the Holy Spirit, he produces these things in us that we could never have produced on our own. And suddenly, that life that we thought was out of reach, hold your breath, okay, is, is attainable. We can now reach way higher than we ever could. Is it because we did something amazing? No, we're standing on the shoulders of the Holy Spirit. 
who is able to produce in us things we never could have produced on our own. So I want us to live lives that are characterized by boldness and unity and generosity. Number one, because I think it's really what's best for your life. You know that if you could characterize all of your relationships, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your neighbors, your, the people that you work with, the people you go to school with, if those relationships were characterized by boldness, unity, and generosity, would that improve your life? Now think about what the church can do. If this is how you described our church or people from the outside described our church, man, I don't know what those people down at Cicero Christian Church are doing. Maybe I don't believe everything that they believe, but those people are bold, they're united, and they're generous. Is that a church that can change our community? Absolutely. What's the difference? What's the difference between where you are now and being able to, to reach the things that God has set out for you? The power of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. I want to see us live with courage, a boldness to share Jesus, to show and tell the gospel. I want to see us willing to take risks and face fears. Courage is embracing that purpose in your life. That's what boldness does. What's going to keep you from being bold? In your relationships with each other, in your relationship with God, what will keep you from being bold? If you love anything more than you love Jesus, if you decide, I, you know what I really want is to be safe. I really want to be safe and secure and protected. That's more important to me than my love for Jesus. In that moment, when you make that decision, you're not bold, you're afraid. But when you say, I want Jesus more than I want to be safe, in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes in and he produces boldness in you. I, I long for the day when I, I can say that our church family, down to the last man, woman, and child, lives a bold faith. A bold faith we show and tell the gospel everywhere we go because we want what Jesus wants more than we want to be safe, more than we want to be admired, more than we want to be respected. And the Holy Spirit produces a boldness in us. Unity doesn't mean that you agree on all matters. It means that you agree on what matters most. We could all benefit from unity in our relationships and in our church family, but it's something that we have to work towards. What will keep you from having unity in your relationships with other people, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with your church family? When you value your opinion and being right over what Jesus has said is most important, that'll create division. It'll create division in your marriage. It'll create division in your relationships with the people you work with, it'll create division in your church. And we know a divided relationship is a weak one. It's one that has lost its power to bring good into the world. When your marriage is divided, there's no power for you guys to work together to bring good into the world. When our church is divided, there's no power. This is why I love it when people, if, when people have an issue with me, they come and talk to me. I love that. Because if you have an issue with me and you go and talk to somebody else, do you know what that creates? Division. 
If you have an issue with somebody else here at the church or with somebody sitting down the aisle from you and you go and talk to them, you're building a bridge to unity. If you go and talk about it with other people, you're creating division. This is why we encourage people. If, if, if you have an issue, you want to talk about something, just come and talk to us. If you've ever sent an anonymous complaint into our church, you did not get a response. Do you know why? Because we threw it in the trash without reading it. Because we don't read anonymous complaints. Because anon, anon, anonymity, is that, that's the thing, anonymity removes the chance for a relationship. I can't have a relationship with an anonymous person. I can't build that trust. I can't work towards that. So, I mean, if you got an issue, let's sit down and talk about it because I guarantee you that I'm going to value my relationship with you more than the issue that you bring. Because Jesus said, here's the mission, love one another as I have loved you. That kind of unity is powerful. Generosity is powerful. This selfless, sacrificial giving the early church, you can read it in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and on throughout. They did something amazing. They took the word mine out of their vocabulary. Nothing was mine. This, this property, it's not mine. It's God's. And if God wants me to sell that and use the money to feed the poor, it wasn't mine to begin with. So whatever he wants, he gets. This house, it's not mine. It's God's. This car, it's not mine, it's God's. And if you need to borrow it, help yourself. It's not mine, it's God's. They took mine out of their vocabulary and they lived with this generosity that was the trademark of the early church. The people around them looked at Christians and said, you guys are crazy. You're, you're reckless because you're willing to serve each other even if it costs you things that you worked hard to earn. That kind of generosity fueled the church. Listen, we have a generous church here. Anytime we ask for something, anytime there's a need, last month we asked for you to bring in some food items for the backpack program at Hamilton Heights High School and, or middle school, element, the whole heights thing. And you guys showed up. There were, the, the, our lobby was just full of food. And we loaded all that up and took it down to the school this week, over 50 bags of groceries. It was amazing. That, that kind of generosity is powerful. But it also makes me scratch my head when I look at, you know, our, our budget report and I see that our giving is continually under our budget need. And I, and I wonder, like, is, are the resources just not here? That's not a sign. I don't know what is. I'm just saying. <laughs> Do you get it? Yeah, okay. Are the, are the resources just not here? Of course the resources are here. Maybe, maybe some of us need to take a step forward in our consistency and faithfulness in our giving because generosity changes things. What would keep you from being a generous person? Is, is it something that you've just thought, that's too high, I can't reach that from here? But if we're willing to say, I want what Jesus wants more than I want my stuff, more than I want a padded bank account, more than I want nice vacations. Are those things wrong? Of course not. If you can take a nice vacation, do it. And God bless you and send the, post the pictures on Facebook. But if you're open-handed to say, God, if you would rather me donate than spend, it's not mine anyway, it's yours. That kind of generosity fuels the church it's a way that we show and tell the gospel. And all of this is possible through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
This, this overcoming fear and turning it into boldness, this overcoming division and turning it into unity, overcoming selfishness and seeing generosity produced, that's not something you can do on your own. It's too high. But when you love Jesus so much that you spend time with him and you build this relationship with his Holy Spirit, suddenly you're able to step into things that you never could have stepped into before. You think, I'm not the kind of person that can share my faith. But you plus the Holy Spirit absolutely is. I'm not the kind of person that can get over some of these differences I have with people. But you plus the Holy Spirit, you are that kind of person. I'm not the kind of person who can give away the stuff that I worked hard to earn. But you plus the Holy Spirit, you can. I just want us to open our eyes and our minds up to what God can do through us when we put Jesus first. Can you see it? What could happen? What would change in your life if you were convinced that the Holy Spirit can change things in you that you've never been able to change on your own? What would change? What could happen? Could you leave an addiction behind? Could you forgive a wound you've been carrying around for years? Could you see your marriage restored and renewed better than ever? Could you find peace and even joy in the midst of your suffering? Could you share your story of what God is doing in your life with someone else? The answer to all these questions is a resounding yes. When we put Jesus first, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and produces things in you you could never do on your own. There's no reason to live a spiritual life frustrated by never being able to get where you know God wants you to go. Cultivate that relationship with the Holy Spirit through Christ and just watch what he can do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of this Holy Spirit, this relationship with your Spirit. And even though it's mysterious and sometimes we really don't understand and we don't know how to explain, God, the power that's available is abundantly clear. Give us the courage, Father, to lay down the things we've been holding on to, to say yes to Jesus and no to our selfish desires. And then... God, would you produce the change that you want to see in us through the power of your spirit? And may the result of that be healthy families, strong communities, and a church family that represents the gospel of Jesus everywhere we go. Would you do that through us? And may you get the glory for every good thing that happens. In Christ's name we pray, amen.